I am Baruch Van, and you are listening to the second second segment of JMAP Life Academy, which will deal with relationships between parents and children. What happens when children stress out their parents? What happens when parents apply pressure to children? Come along the ride, listen to this next episode, and you will learn a whole lot that you didn't know about relationships between parents and children. Welcome, everybody, to the second installment of JMAP Life Academy. Thank you all for joining us. Today's topic is going to be about um, healthy, good relationships between parents and children, which uh, might be a charged topic, and it might not be. It kind of depends who you are. It kind of depends who you are. Uh, it's interesting regardless, because even if you have a wonderful relationship with your parents, this material, this, this, these ideas will just hit the spot, and either you'll be going like, yeah, or you'll be like, oh, or you'll be like, oh, no. You know, those are the options. <laughs> That's basically how it goes with this class. So it, it might be the most complex and the most nuanced of all relationships. Like we said last week, we're going to cover a lot of different types of relationships. Last week we spoke about just your good classic friendship, learning how to identify toxic relationships and how to confront them then learning how to develop healthy relationships just in terms of a friend. Then there's sibling relationships, there's parent relationships and children relationships, and then there's basically male-female, the whole category, dating, marriage, etc. Those are the, ca- the topics we're going to touch on in this first part of the JMAP Life Academy. And parents, in a certain way, are the most nuanced of all of those relationships. I keep saying parents because most of us are dealing with most of us are the children in the relationship. It's like besides myself and Jacob, I'm going to talk Jacob, who's got a, a dog child. Um, I'm, going to talk, I'm going to talk to the kids about the parents' relationship. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're not going to... Maybe in a couple of years we'll get back here. Or maybe we'll get back here every week for a couple of years. And then we'll be up to talking about, you know, how to, how to deal with your children. It's going to be the same foundations, but specific, you know, for the application. Maybe next week we all bring our parents... And you give them the reverse talk. I'll bring my son, John. Please, John, not now. I'm going to bring my pet. John has arrived. Welcome, John. Much, Mom. All right. Despite the limitations or the drawbacks of the relationship, it can be one of the most rewarding relationships. You have the opportunity to have the satisfaction of giving in a way which is not, not available in many other types of relationships. I mean... The number one form of charity is not to poor people, it's to your own parents. And the number two form is to your children. And like poor people are all the way down to the bottom of the list after everyone else you're connected to. Because it's in some ways the the closest, most intense relationship that we have. And it really comes down to the same three foundations of relationships. Let's just review them over. We spoke about them last week. You have connection, affection, and knowledge. Connection means just your platform that you connect with the other person. It could be a bus ride. It could be a childhood friend. It could be a parent. It could be anything. Okay? Any connection that you have with someone is a connection. Is a connection for a relationship. And you bring into the relationship everything that's present in the connection gets farmed right into the relationship. Then you have affection. A feeling that you want to be close with the person a feeling of desiring closeness with them. And that we develop through giving of ourselves. 
then one, at a certain point, the other person may or may not reciprocate. That's when you have to start identifying healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships. And then comes knowledge of the other person. Somebody who you have that feeling of affection for, you want to, you feel connected to them. You feel like you identify with them as part of your own identity, as your relationship with them. And so you're kind of comfortable, not only comfortable, you want that. You want to be able to be open with them, to be sharing of yourself. You don't mind, and in fact, it's, it's something you can lean on to expose your weaknesses and, and conflicts and allow them to be there for you, and that's helpful for you. So that's basically a full relationship, and then it comes back into the connection. So the connection that you have with someone that you have that with, all three of those stages, is a much, much more meaningful connection. It's a very deep connection. It's a very deep connection. Okay. Now, I want to I emphasize the identity thing because that's going to be one of the most important elements here. It's going to be one of the most important elements here. In a regular friendship, you begin to identify with the relationship as part of you only at the end, right? Only at the very end. Only when you have all three elements, when you have a connection, when you feel like you want to be close with them, and when you've, you've started to learn each other. That's the only time. Before that, you don't really identify that this person's kind of like part of me, part of my very personal world. And that's where it differs over here, okay? In a parent-child relationship, the sense of identity is almost like a whole separate thing. It's almost like a whole separate thing. Now, you got to put it somewhere, and it does go somewhere. It goes in connection. Your sense of identity is right there in the connection. The fact that they're your parent, the fact that you're their child. It's right there in the connection. That feeling of identifying. And now you understand right away how the relationship is set up to be stilted. Right? Because there's almost no natural outlet to develop affection. There's almost no natural outlet to develop knowledge because you have identity right there at the beginning. And we're going to go into the different ways. Parents identify with the children one way. Children identify with the parents in a totally different way. But because you have that identity right there off the bat, so you may, it, it's kind of like confusing. You feel like they're a part of you, but you don't want to be close. You don't have a feeling you want to be close with them. And you don't, you don't know them and you don't want to know them and you don't want them to know you. This can happen. This can happen. Okay? Now, obviously, that's not naturally what people want. People will naturally want to have a closer relationship just because of how they identify with the person. Not because of the regular way. Not because through giving they develop a feeling they want to be close with them. Just because it's like, I want to know my right arm. You know? I don't know if you ever have this. Huh. You ever have this where you discover a part of yourself that you realize you just haven't looked at and like, a year? It's a weird thing to say, but it, it happens. Like, I don't know, somewhere that's like hard to notice, but then you happen to pass a mirror at the right angle. Like, what? I got that there, you know? This happens to you? The guys are all like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, whether it's a zit or something, whatever it is, you would want, you just want, and you have a natural tendency that you want to know yourself. So normally, normally, that tendency will create that parents and children want to know each other, but not necessarily, and it's not the same thing as affection. It's not the same thing as affection. So now let's split it. You have to split it because parents identify with their children one way and children identify with their parents in a totally different way. 
parents identify with the children as straight up like a limb in their body. A parent considers the child just a pure, direct extension of themselves. And in a certain way, that's true. For, for nine months, that was true. And even after that, it's like, you know, mother and baby is like one unit almost. Okay, even though today we send our kids to babysitters and daycares, it's still, it's something instinctive. It's something natural, you know. Until a child's three years old, I don't know if you, I mean, I went to a whole course on, on um, gender identity. Gender identity doesn't start until like two or three-ish because before that, the child is just kind of like part of the mother. So you start noticing like the turnoff between trucks and dolls. It happens somewhere around like two or three. Yeah. Where does the father lie in relation to all this? Same thing. When we get the husband wife, you'll understand more about okay, so it. So when you were saying when you were saying mother, you like low key meant mother and father. I'm being serious. No, I was giving because in the mother you can. I was I was emphasizing how it's actually physically 100% the fact with the mother. Oh yeah, okay. Even though we're talking now more in like the type of thing which is like kind of a sense of like it's like a like a metaphorical thing, but it starts from a very physical, physical reality truth. But I'm still saying is that that same thing. Yeah, pull him over here. Pull him over to Ben. She just saw, I think, a bird or a Yeah, pull her over to Ben over here. Listen, you can either let her go over there or pull her around over here. Um, so, so it's the same thing for the dad. The dad identifies the same way with the child, even before we get to the metaphysical, metaphorical section. The child being like a, like a extension of the mom, it works for the dad like that also for the same reason. Okay. Because it's an extension of the mom, the dad feels the same way. That's just, wow. Okay. Like I said, Jacob has a kid. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's the same for the dad. So now, but still, the, the parents see the children that way. And this has significance in Jewish law. This has significance in Jewish law. There's an expression, the child is just like the limb of the parent. It has, it has ramifications for um, laws of inheritance. It has ramifications for laws of of personal status, it has ramifications for laws of testifying, okay? It's real, it's a real thing. And that's how the parents always view the child. The children don't see the parents, the children don't see themselves as an extension of the parents. But they do identify with the parents in a way which is different, but still just as intimate. The, the children, at least at a younger age, and in a certain kind of a basic, like this part of the brain way forever, your parents are, okay, you ready for mind blowing this? Your parents are your location. You identify your location as being with your parents. You missed me with that. Yeah, can you explain that? Yeah, we're gonna try and explain. What? They're home. They're home. That's right. Very good. Very good. You got it. You 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 hit the you hit the nail on the head. There's a certain element of where we are, or what our base is. Just stick on. Yeah. As, is with our parents. Now you see this with kids. My, my, my one and a half year old has an incredible range of motion. What does that mean? It means he'll go very far away from us without considering that he's too far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. Crazy, crazy stories. But I mean, he'll literally be around the block. But still, <laughs> if he knows that you left the room without him, he'll panic and get up to follow you because because it's like an earthquake for him. Because the ground is moving from under him. 
right? Being in the room with, with me or with my wife, that's where he is. He's, he doesn't identify as being located in the room that he's in. He identifies as being located in the room with the parent or in the house with the parent or in the car with the parent. And this also, this also has um, the ramifications in Jewish law, in halacha, okay? When the Jewish people were in the desert, they had a temporary temple with them. They had a temporary temple with them. And that temple was representative or more than representative of the presence of God among them. And we learn all the laws that you're not allowed to do and that you are allowed to do on Shabbat from that temple. All the things that they would do to build it and take it apart and put it together and the services they would do in it. And one of the things that we learn is that you're not allowed to dismantle something on Shabbat. You're not allowed to take, take apart a building on Shabbat because that's something that they would do with that temple. However, we also learn that it's only a Torah prohibition, which may be a different time, it's not for now, the difference between a Torah prohibition and a rabbinical prohibition, but it's only a Torah prohibition if you rebuild it in the same exact location. Now, anybody who knows anything about the history of the Jewish people in the desert, they did not consistently rebuild in the same location. They consistently rebuilt in a completely different location. And so the rabbis ask, what do you mean? How could you tell me it's only if you build it in the same location? They built it in a different location every time, and we're supposed to be getting our information from there. So the rabbis say, yeah, but you don't understand. The desert wasn't a relevant location for them. It's different sand dunes. It's different, different flecks of sand. It was not a relevant location for them. The relevant location was that they were with the temple. And so you see this concept, and it's true with children and parents. And as you get older, you're less aware of this feeling, but it's always there, okay? So the parents will always see their children as an extension of themselves, and the children will always see the parents as their location. And because of this, when there's tension, when there's pressure on the relationship, it, it comes out in different feelings. When there is a difference between parents and children that they don't get along, parents feel betrayed and children feel shaken loose, lost. shaken up, lost. But I want to say like their foundations are shaken. They're, they're not, they don't feel stable. They don't feel stable. Parents feel betrayed and children feel unstable. Now, yeah, we're going to give an example. We're going to give an example. And both of them, obviously, parents and children could do something could do something to fix the situation and to make it better or to be aware of the situation before it happens. But we're going to just focus on children and how, how children can do it because that's, that's what we are in this, in this setting, in this context. Let's say, for example, um, I read a story once about a lady who, whose parents had a very, a very close-knit family. She was from a traditional Jewish background. They had a close-knit family, family unit. And all of her relatives, siblings, and cousins all came all over all the time for Friday night meals and for holiday meals and for summer, you know, summer parties and everything. And basically, everybody's life was the family. And everybody got regular jobs, like, you know, in medicine or law or accounting or engineering, and stayed close to the family. And both of those things were kind of part of the identity of the family. And, yeah. I'm going to have to learn how to use the podcast editor. And, and she decided she was like a, you know, kind of like a wanderer. And she went to like some ashram in Boston. Everyone knows what an ashram is? 
No? Yeah, I don't like I don't know if it's Buddhist or Hindu. I'm I'm unfortunately ignorant of the details of what an ashram is. But there's a lot of basically you you put yourself in that environment for extended periods of time. And there's a lot of meditation, there's a lot of focusing and and that's where I think a lot of those mantras come from, you know, like the meditating mantras. And she wasn't young, I think, I don't know, and she was there for a long time. And the fact that it wasn't so much the, the, the specific details of what she was doing that bothered her family. It was more how different, meaning her parents were, were feeling betrayed that she didn't follow not what they wanted her to do, which that's what it comes down to, but they didn't, they, they felt like she was betraying who they were. Because if you have an arm or a leg and you expect it to do one thing and it does another thing, that's, that's a feeling you feel very, you feel betrayed by your own limb, by your own arm. And so if you kind of expect, rightly or wrongly, that your child will be heading in a certain direction, when they don't head in that direction, you feel betrayed. You feel the child, uh, the child doesn't approve of what and who I am, and that's why they're taking a different path. What happens next is an epic disaster in the natural course of things. When people aren't aware of where this is heading and they act naturally, what happens next is the child needs the parent's approval in order to feel stable because the child identifies that the parent is their place. I'm feeling pretty unstable right now, by the way. I don't know about all you guys. Oh, yeah, oh, Hashem Kito. Okay, fine, very good. Thank you, Hashem. You heard? <coughs> right when I was, right when I was uh, putting it out there, he helped us out. Okay. Yeah. Get angry again, No, 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 no. Humility, some humility. Imagine. So the, par- the children need the parents' validation because as far as a child is concerned, their whole stability, their whole place is with the parent. Okay? So what does a child do? They try and validate themselves and defend themselves. They say, no, mom and dad, you don't get it. This is why it's so great. This is what it's all about. What do the parents think? It's true. They don't approve of who and what I am. They do want to reject it. You hear that, disa- that cyclical disaster? And we all do this on some level. On some level. Until this starts happening, both the parents and the children aren't going to see it coming. Maybe parents will. I haven't been there yet. I mean, I've been in this situation, but I haven't been there where I can like tell you where it's possible to see it coming or not. So it's going to most likely start with this tension. And someone's going to have to back off. Someone's going to have to be the bigger person to just let it go you know, to just let it go. And then maybe you can enter into dialogue, you can have calm conversations about it, come to an understanding with each other. It'll always be hard for parents. It'll always be hard for parents. They feel betrayed. And it'll always be hard for children because they feel like they're not, they don't have their parents' approval. Who's it harder for? I don't know. My suspicion is it's harder for the parents because it's their own self. It's their own sense of self. As a child, you could develop a new identity of location a new sense of like where you belong which is painful in some ways to kind of give that up what you have with your family and you know we're not talking about giving it up running from it just to compensate for whatever feeling of loss that there is by developing a sense of belonging somewhere else you can never replace the belonging with family just a second but but for children 
for children, they can find another location where also there they feel like they're based. But a parent can't regrow that arm. A parent can't regrow that leg. In a certain way, you know, in a certain way it's gone forever. So just like when you're younger, you go through these life experiences which kind of force you to grow up. When we're parents also, I know I said I was going to talk from a kid's perspective, but, but it's, just go, you know, it's just flowing right now. The parent also in a certain way has to kind of grow up again when they feel the disappointment and the letdown of their children not being what they want them to be. Okay? Now, it's a children's job to just be completely sensitive to this. And I'm going to tell you an extreme thing that I did in the interest of this balance, maintaining this balance. So, the, the number one piece of advice here for children is don't push the issue. Don't push the issue. This tension, this feeling that the parents have that the children are betraying them or going down a different path, it, it takes root a long time before it has to be confronted because the parents pick up on certain different interests or changes or different you know, people that the children are spending time with and they start getting nervous. They start feeling that you know, feeling of being uptight about where the child's going for a while. In the meantime, the child may not even realize yet that they're heading in that direction. So this is a long time in advance. Many people, like I said before, children crave the validation of their parents so they can feel secure. And so they'll bring it up immediately and push the point immediately. And then you just have this like endless, endless embattlement and strife, which will eventually end with the child moving on. That's what's going to happen anyways. But if, it's, if that's what leads up to it, it's not going to be the child developing and moving on to the next stage. It's going to come maybe with a certain element of a breaking off. Maybe a, maybe, a, maybe a type of breaking off which can heal. Maybe a type of breaking off which can't heal. Maybe a type of breaking off which doesn't even need to heal. It's just present for a little while. But it's going to come with a breaking off. Okay? So, the number one piece of advice here is, is hold off forcing the conversation about why you want to do differently than they want you to do for as long as possible. Because you'll notice when, when you start trying to apply this, you'll notice that it's not necessary to have that conversation right away at all. You know, when I was in, uh, I was in high school going off, to, going off to yeshiva, okay, I knew I was going to yeshiva for a number of years. And I had a mentor who warned me. He said, throughout your yeshiva career, your mom is going to bring up whether or not you're going to go to college. It's going to come up over and over and over again. Postscript, I have a degree, okay? I, I didn't even get it myself. I had it sent in the mail straight to my mom. I've never seen it, okay? <laughs> Whether or not you should do that yourselves if you face the similar situation, call me, collect. We'll talk about it, okay? So, anyways, and he told me. He said, do not force the issue. I said, what do you mean? He said, are you going to college today? I said, no. I said, so what are you going to say when she asks you if you're going to go to college one day? Just be agreeable. Just be agreeable. Don't lie, but just be agreeable. You know, the difference in saying, yes, mom, I will be going to college, um, in my, what, in the, as the case was for me. You just be agreeable. Say, yeah, it sounds like a really important thing to do. Or, you know, I mean, you have to be smart. You have to be clever. You can't do it in a way where you're obviously covering up the fact that you never want to go to college in your entire life. As I did not so want to do. What? Not hire them, but you don't have to, you're, you're not going to help your parents be comfortable by talking out why you don't agree with them. And since it's not, it's not something that you're doing now, 
So don't talk about it. You should not hide things from your parents. I just want to be absolutely clear. I'm not advocating that you hide anything from your parents. Okay, do you understand the difference here between the two things I'm saying? What I, all I'm saying is, parents have a tendency to want to confront issues before action needs to be taken on those issues. And I don't talk, I'm talking about any action. I'm even talking about planning in terms of action. I'm not saying you should leave it off the table until the day you're packing up to leave. No, that's also, that's not right to your parents, necessarily. Most of the time, that's not going to be the right course of action. Planning is also action. But when it's just, they're just kind of like being pushy, whether they want to know what you're thinking about, you know, just be agreeable. Just be agreeable. They won't be able to get it and understand you until you get past that hump. Okay? Until they feel not betrayed by you. And then there's also ways after that, once you pass that stage, okay, then there's all sorts of, you know, then there's all sorts of situations. It varies from person to person, from family to pa- family to family. So, you know, you need a mentor for that there. Last week also, you, you'll, under, you'll see a lot in relationships. Once you get past the basic elements, you need a mentor who can understand your situation the best. But the, to, get past, to get past the speed bump of parent-children relationships, that tension, which is the natural outgrowth of the style of relationships, this is what you have to be able to do. Now, there were a couple of questions. You guys still have questions? I like to then go first. So I was gonna say whenever you taught talking, him Tyro, very good. Yeah, I'm gonna accept this though. Um, so whenever like parents have like a certain expectation, I'm just taking us back a bit. So you're talking about how parents have a certain expectation, and then like when you want to go like off that path, like they're gonna start freaking out and being like all that stuff. This was more of like an opinion, but I wanna I wanted to hear what you and even other kids thought. I feel like very like macro sense. Twenty two or twenty three? You're twenty three? Yeah. You're not kids anymore, man. I got you. So very macro, like like focusing out, your parents want you to be successful and happy. And the reason they're shoving medical school down your throat is because they think that's what's gonna get you like money and good family and great wife and money and happiness. And money. And money. And money. <laughs> There's a kid's tape my kids have. There's like 17 tapes for the same guy. And he always makes sure to throw in some guy saying, And we'll take all of that money. That's what I was just thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Edit that uh, out. Yeah. yeah. So what I was saying is I feel like kind of when you go off that path for a bit and they're freaking out and maybe there's tension, maybe you don't even talk to them like very closely for a few years. When you emerge out of that, like victorious, like... You know, like, you, like, picked yourself up by the boots and you got your own version of success. I think it kind of bounces back and they no longer, they, like, forget they were upset. And they're like, yeah, I'm so happy. Like, they, they become, like, super, like, proud of you again and all that stuff. It could be, um, you know. Depending how often they're going. Most healthy people, people who are emotionally and psychologically healthy, will survive this tension, like you're describing Right, but the question is how to maximize, how to come out not just with a decent relationship with your parents, but how to navigate your relationship with them, so that you never hit those bumps, or when you start hitting those bumps, you're able to work your way through it, so that you don't have that few-year gap. Relationships stagnate, you know. I just feel like you're saying like I don't think it's impossible for you to prevent this one-sided. I think your parents have to have this 
level of open-mindedness to allow there not to be bumps. Yeah, of course. Of course, like I said before, you know, there are things that both sides can do to prevent this from being a problem. And not only that, without a certain level of openness from both sides, you can never get past it. And that's why I was kind of saying, after you manage to, after you manage to convey emotionally the feeling that you're on the same page as them, then you, it, needs to, it needs to progress from there. It needs to progress from there to open conversation about the path you're taking when it does come time for planning that. Otherwise, you still won't get past this. Or you'll get past it in a very shallow way, which doesn't contribute to your relationship with your parents. Okay? So 100%, you need that openness. You need that openness from both, from both uh, sides of the equation. I'll oh, thank you so much. Um, Jacob, I don't think they'll forget when, it, when, it's, when it's all healed up and they, and they recognize your success and how far you've come. I, I don't think that they, they, they'll forget about the past. I think they'll just move past and they'll be like, hey, look, I have this new, um, this new like, mechanical arm or whatever. My, my arm grew back. I'm a lizard, you know? Like, something like that. <laughs> yeah, so like Ben is saying, it's something that is a theme throughout relationships. Every relationship is built on everything that came before that in the relationship. So, Ben's right. Even though, the, even though you have a relationship after the fact, that relationship is even built on what happened before. You know, you can never just push it under the rug. Like the scar of that limb. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, it's different. Meaning, they'll be proud of you and they'll be accepting of you. They'll never get over that feeling of betrayal. They'll always feel like there's a part of their presence in the world which was taken away from them even though they'll you know hopefully they're mature and they won't hold it against you yeah, so, so I think that was like the official answer to I guess my question slash comment which is yeah. like uh, I would imagine they really just wouldn't care and like maybe that was like personal for me and my situation but um yeah I was just curious what it probably it, it, it probably means that profession wasn't an example of of something that they identified as part of who they are. So then, even though that's what they wanted for you, but it didn't come out that, it didn't come out that they were feeling betrayed that you weren't taking that path. Yeah. Profession is not always that part of their identity that they think you're an extension of. I don't identify with, uh, well, okay, it's, I, I chose a profession which I identify with, but my father-in-law is a computer programmer and he hates computer programming and he does it for a living. Okay, that, if that's not part of your identity, then, you know, it's, it's not part of this discussion. I use profession because it's a common source of this conflict. But the conflict presents itself in other ways as well. Okay. Good. It's a good point. It's a good way to bring it up. Now, let's move on for a second. We've spoken so far only about, only about connection in this relationship. We haven't spoken about affection. We haven't spoken about knowledge. knowledge. We touched on a certain type of affection, which isn't really affection. It's just the, the, the feeling that you want to know yourself. Right? Affection doesn't come automatically. It comes from giving. From the kid. It comes from giving. Affection in general doesn't come automatically. It comes from giving. Who is giving in this relationship automatically? Mom and dad. Mom and dad. Keep it up mom and dad. Your mom and dad, from the moment you're born, from before you're born, will will feel intensely intensely loving and affectionate towards you they'll have this feeling that they want to be close to you so how do you explain postpartum depression 
okay. It's a psychological chemical imbalance. It's a problem. That's actually because they love you so much. They love having you, like, you in their belly that whenever you're out, they feel depressed and empty. I'm pretty sure wow. that's like what's going on. Okay, that's an interesting thought. I'm definitely not qualified to make sweeping statements about postpartum depression, but from what I understand, it's it's connected to a chemical imbalance. It's not uh, it's not it's not indicative of the way motherhood is. Okay, but. Um, is it possible for someone not to feel that? Not oh. if they gave of themselves. Meaning, okay, yeah, well, let's talk about it. Yeah, it is possible, and we'll get there. The parents, the parents give of themselves everything from the beginning, from the beginning. In a normal relationship, to answer Josh's question, in a normal relationship, if it's completely one-sided, that one person is giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, and the other is not receiving but taking and taking and taking and taking then the par- then then the giver can burn out and it can happen with parents and children that the children overwhelm in the capacity of the parents to give and then the, the parents can feel burnt out of the relationship is it possible from like the beginning like before anything happened they just don't feel anything for their child i think there's a certain expectation of like a disney starstruck love which very often is not there but the, the affection that develops through giving will come automatically. Sometimes a mom like bugs out. Like they, she thinks she's ready for childbirth and then like she had no sleep for like six months. Like her body hurts, like this thing's crying all the time. Then she starts like hating this. Like, Guys, is there like something that's going on with both of you that I should know about? No, no, no. <laughs> You're like pushing this topic very far. I thought he brought up an interesting point. It is interesting, it is interesting, but yeah, yeah. Affection that's that's real that comes from giving is a steady developing feeling. So that is that will come automatically when the parents give to the children. So what happens next? Does the child reciprocate? Not automatically. Not automatically. Does the child then feel like they can trust the parent with their conflicts and weaknesses? Not, on, not automatically. Does the parent feel that they can trust the child with their conflicts and weaknesses? Not automatically. I think we could just say no. No. Yeah. Well, no, not at the young age. <clears throat> but it's possible to develop like that. <clears throat> so what goes into a parent-child relationship is only connection and one-sided affection. Nothing else is automatic. Nothing else is automatic. The connection contains so much more than any other relationship that many times it can completely compensate for the lack of the other two elements. But still, the traditional affection of a relationship and the knowledge of each other that comes in a relationship is not automatic. And so going, moving up in a relationship with your parents, you have to realize that those things are not there automatically. If you want to develop those elements of a relationship you could but you have to be sensitive first if your parents are interested in that at all they might be very content and happy with a traditional parent-child relationship that's lacking those elements some parents aren't looking for more than that and when the kids try the parents get all weirded out like why is my why is my kid so into like pop sign out you know they're just not interested and they were they just get confused by it some are interested Sometimes the parents want it, but the kids aren't interested. 
I guess like if you were raised in the 70s, then it's something that you want, but your kids were raised in the 90s, so they don't want it. You know? It's cyclical like that. Mad Magazine, they still have Mad Magazine? Uh-huh. Do they still have Mad Magazine? I don't know if it's out, but I know what it is. Of course you do, for sure, no question. Yeah. Yeah, Mad Magazine was like, it was like the Saturday Night Live of magazines for years. And they had this comic of the grandparents that grew up in the 70s and the parents that grew up in like the 90s and then like the kids and like the parents and the kids are hippies and it's like smoking weed and the parents are like prim with like, you know, straight laced. Yeah, whatever. So uh, these things are cyclical. But, but if, if it's something which is possible, then you have to work on developing it. It's not automatic. As kids, you have to work on being giving to your parents. You have to find the times where it's appropriate to be open with them and trusting. And then probably they'll reciprocate if it's, if it's an appropriate thing. The, the difference here is it'll never be a friendship. It'll never be a friendship. Why? Because like we said, relationships are built on what came before. So in a friendship, connection came before affection. Affection came before knowledge. In a parent-child relationship, the buildup is different. So even if you nail all three, it won't be in that order. And so the relationship will still be different than a friend. Okay? So let's just quickly review. Parent-child relationships are also based on the same three fundamentals. Connection, affection, and knowledge of the other person. However, the only thing that's automatic in a parent-child relationship is connection and affection from the parents to the children. The parents, the children will, want, will love the parents, will have a feeling of wanting to be close to the parents through their connection, not because they have the traditional type of affection. And the connection is different between the children and the parents and the parents and the children. The connection that the children feel with the parents is they feel like their parents are their sense of location, their stability. That's where they are. They're with their parents, even when they're not with their parents. The parents identify differently than that with the children. The parents identify with the children as the children being an extension of who they are. Okay. Because of this, you have sometimes a conflict where the parents kind of expect the children to continue being an expression of what the parents are, and the children find a different path. So then the parents feel betrayed. The children, t- need, the children need the validation of their parents' approval, so they try to prove themselves right, which just, which just c- convinces the parents that they're being betrayed. And that's how the mess starts. To avoid this from happening from a children's perspective, assuming your parents are open enough open-minded enough that, that they'll be able to have a working relationship with you on this, you have to be very agreeable. Again, not just not lie to them, chas shalom, not just say yes to whatever they say, just be very agreeable. Every time you notice them pushing in a certain direction and it's not time for you to start thinking about what you're going to be doing or it's not time for you to start taking action or planning, just be very agreeable. Don't allow it to become a confrontation. And then after that, you need to have a mentor who knows and understands your personal situation and your family dynamic in order to advise you on how to open up the topic with them in a healthy, safe way, kind of to diffuse the tension. All right, any questions? Thank you all for coming. Thank you all for listening. Look forward to seeing you all next week. This has been Jim App Life Academy, second, the second installment on the topic of parent-children relationships. Thanks for listening to JMAP Life Academy. Make sure to join us again next week for our next installment in the relationship series.